We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast, coming to you live on Wednesday, March 9th. We got some uh, news to talk about, uh, both charges related and not charges related. And then we'll uh, dive into some of our uh, top 10 interior draft rankings for this upcoming class. And uh, joining me to do that are my guys, Tyler and Alex. Alex, I'm uh, I'm sure you had a fun day today as uh Mr. Carson Wentz or Carson Wentz was uh, traded back to the NFC East. He's now a member of the Washington Commanders, which is still super weird to say. But uh, Alex, how are you doing, man? You know, I woke up this morning and I was feeling a little bit bitter about the whole Russell Wilson thing and and missing out on him because, you know, I felt like he would have been a good fit in Philly. I wish him the best of luck in getting his first uh, conference championship game appearance since the Obama administration and for Sierra to put out a good album for the first time since 2004. The, I wish wow. them both the best of luck. But uh, I then I found the light and it was Washington <laughs> Commanders trading draft assets for Carson Wentz and taking on a full $28 million contract. That gave me a, a big dopamine, serotonin, all, all the drugs there. It just gave me a hit, uh, and I, I feel good. And Fletcher Cox gets to suplex him twice a year. Uh, really great stuff. <laughs> I know. I would imagine Fletcher and company are going to have fun with that one. I, I can't wrap my head around that one, man. Like trading a potential second and a third rounder and taking on 100% of the contract for Carson Wentz. Uh, I feel like I'd rather just draft Desmond Ritter or somebody at 11 or Malik Willis. I'd rather just have Taylor Heineke. You have Taylor yeah. Heineke for like $5 million. I'd rather just play him. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you're new to the show, Alex does uh, victory pink. And so this was a mini victory for him. So that is the reason why he's wearing a, a pink shirt again. So uh, Tyler also here. Tyler, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm wearing funeral black. Um, you know, I can't wait to see how... <laughs> Our content is repurposed and reused on other people's content. Um, yes, we're all watching you, so don't do that. Uh, Steven, I'm doing very well, but how was your appearance on ESPN Radio? <laughs> Alex cracking me up, man. Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, I went, there's the uh, local ESPN Radio guy and I have become uh, pretty close, so 
uh, hopped on there earlier today to talk about really just kind of everything that's happening in the NFL right now. And, uh, you know, you look at, you know, all the other seasons, all the other sports happening, like it's March Madness and NFL headlines are still dominating the the sports talk show. So uh, just kind of crazy. So uh, doing great today. Happy to be here with my guys. I want to start with the Russell Wilson thing first, and then we'll get to uh, obviously more of the Chargers stuff. So obviously the Denver Broncos have acquired Russell Wilson. And obviously if you are watching our show, you probably know that by now. Um, they gave up a good amount to get him. However, I'm a little confused why Drew Locke is involved in the trade at all. Um, but, you know, you get two firsts, two seconds, Noah Fant, and I think a fifth. Missed that one. But Noah Fant and Shelby Harrison, Drew Locke. So, Tyler, we'll start with you. Your uh, initial reaction to the Denver Broncos acquiring Russell Wilson. My initial reaction was, well, that's great. I'm sure Denver gave up a lot of their players. I'm sure Chubb is gone. I'm sure Judy's gone and a couple of firsts. That was my initial reaction. Then I read what they actually gave up to go get Russell Wilson. You know, the Chargers really struggle to win in Denver, and I don't see how that got any easier after this trade. I mean, are, are they going to be set up for the failure in the future, maybe, because they're not the best drafting team? Perhaps. But boy, this season, or as long as they have Wilson and that defense... I'm very concerned now. Like It is a true arms race. If the Chargers did not need to get more corners, more pass rushers, or more receivers before, they definitely need to do it now in the AFC West. So um, I'm nervous for sure. Like I do think Herbert is the better quarterback. I do think the Chargers can be the better team than the Broncos. But this isn't really helping. Like It's going to be a very, very difficult slug fest in the AFC West next season. Honestly, I kind of had just, if I were the Broncos, depends on what they did at the offensive coordinator. I probably would have just kept Fangio and kept that Fangio defense and then let, you know, Russell Wilson do his thing. But I guess the you know, they didn't work out. So um, I'm worried for sure. I think the Chargers can be the better team, but it's going to be so hard to win in Denver now because now you have to also put up points, whereas you just kind of had to put up, you know, 17 before with the Broncos <laughs> score last time, 16 before the pick six, yeah. you know, and now you have to score probably 20 something just to win in Denver. That's very difficult. So it's going to be a very, very difficult fight in the AFC West for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really difficult in the AFC West. Um, obviously, Denver kind of manning up with Wilson. Uh, it seems like, you know, I, I am a little bit relieved they lost out on the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes, which kind of facilitated sure. this trade because that, I think, would have been a real nightmare. Um, I definitely think, I mean, Russell Wilson is an upgrade for them. I mean, just going from Drew Locke to Russell Wilson is, like, life-changing. Uh, and, I mean, he puts them in the caliber of being a playoff team. And like Tyler said, the return here is really underwhelming for Seattle. Um, yes. They trade a number nine pick and a really bad QB class and a first round next year that's probably going to be in the 20s because you have Russell Wilson. Uh, and other than that, you traded Noah Fant. That, that, that's really the whole trade. Uh, I for sure thought that a Sertan was going to be there. I thought a Judy was going to be in there and they weren't. So um, even though Russ was worse last year, I, I thought that they would do better than this. Um, and it just kind of seemed like a mess. I will say the one saving grace, if you're a Chargers fan going forward, is that they will, I mean, have to presumably extend Russell Wilson now, which I think is where a lot of Seattle's hesitancy to kind of bring him back kind of started. And if you're talking about a Russell Wilson, who's going to be on a four or five year deal until he's 37, 38, um, that is something that I think makes this Denver window the next two or three years, as opposed to the long term. 
uh, just because I think his athleticism kind of will decline. And he's really struggled in the last two years, um, as Mita Kimes put it on her podcast, <laughs> since uh, the too high safety look was created. Um, so I, yeah. I thought that that was kind of interesting. But uh, look, I mean, Russ is a significant upgrade for them. He'll make that whole receiving core better. They didn't have to give up any key pieces to do it. So in the short term, I love the move for them. Offensive line definitely has to have some resources put into it, though, for, for Denver's sake. Uh, but long term, I think that, you know, this kind of starts the window on it now. Uh, and they they do have to compete, whereas the Chargers kind of had the luxury of Justin Herbert. The, Ch- the Chiefs had the luxury of Patrick Mahomes being these prime quarterbacks. Um, it, it's kind of win now or bust, I think, for the Broncos. It definitely is win now for bust. I want to give a, a quick shout out to uh dago 619 cali factor i don't think i've seen you before so uh if you're new welcome thank you for the super chat uh we'll definitely talk about uh jc jackson and kind of the need for more turnovers um you know at a a later time but you know getting back to this russell wilson stuff like it definitely makes things difficult more difficult in the afc west man like i think for the better part of my life you've always been able to look at the raiders or the broncos or the chiefs even at some points of saying like, okay, like I feel very confident that we'll at least split the season series there and, you know, if not sweep. And so now every team in the AFC West is good. Every team in the AFC West is at least competent at the quarterback position. Uh, I know Chargers fans kind of hate Derek Carr, but I think he's a top 12 to 15 guy. So, I mean, having four of the top 12 to 15 quarterbacks in the same division is just kind of crazy to me. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this like you know i think already with the three that were in here last year was probably already the best division best quarterback division in the league now you add russell wilson so things definitely get harder um you know i am not necessarily saying like the season is over or anything like that um you know the chargers have other games but uh, i mean it just makes things more difficult and it kind of amplifies you know, what, uh, what this off season really means, because now you have to be on your a game every single week in this division to keep pace. Otherwise, you know, you, you one game lost two games losses here. It, it might push you down to fourth place in the division and, and kind of no way to get out of that hole. So, uh, things in the AFC West are going to be crazy next year and beyond that for sure. I will say that if the Chargers can at least split with the Broncos, which I think they can do, given the yeah. two teams and how the Chargers will upgrade, that's kind of status quo for them. The difference will be, I think the Broncos will actually finally have a shot to maybe beat the Chiefs or maybe beat the Raiders. I believe they were swept by both last season. The Raiders yeah. just finding ways to win in Denver. The Chiefs just have their number in general. And so I think that be able to maybe knock down the Chiefs one game or the Raiders another game and just maintain that status quo with the Chargers kind of would help them but then again it's up to the Chargers to at least split with the Broncos this year yeah I mean the the winning in Denver is always going to be more is always going to be difficult for this team obviously this changes that and I will say there's a lot of like Super Bowl contender talk being thrown around the Denver Broncos right now and, and I get that that's kind of the nature of the business uh den orlovsky mentioning that he'd rather have russell wilson for the next five years instead of justin herbert i think is kind of crazy uh but very on par for the course there i just think to me like the broncos were kind of a fringe playoff contender i think now they are a legitimate playoff contender with russell wilson very curious to see how the uh, i i don't even know how to say his name ejiro evero i think is how you say it the new defensive coordinator is a vic vangio disciple but like 
Vic Vangio was pulling some miracles the last two seasons with that unit and keeping them elite. And last year they threw, they flew through like eight different linebackers and they were still a top five unit. So I'm curious to see how that affects that. And then like, honestly, this is kind of a downgrade in terms of supporting cast for Russell Wilson. I think the Seahawks offensive line is better. I think DK and Tyler Lockett are better. I just think that the Broncos supporting cast is being a little overstated uh, just based off of recent history. And I get like Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater and all that. But I mean, DK Metcalf is unequivocally the best receiver of the two teams. And I think Tyler Lockett might be second. I, I don't get how Dan Orlovsky said that um, and claims to have like a functioning brain or when he <laughs> goes on first take. I mean, this is what happens, but he turns his brain on and off uh, versus when he's doing film study so he can just be a hot take <laughs> asshole. Um, but yeah, no, saying five years of Russell Wilson it, over five years, Justin Herbert, I'm like, Russell Wilson's already showing signs of decline. Like you, you can acknowledge them or you cannot, but like taking them, taking a 38 year old Russell Wilson over 28 year old Justin Herbert is just, uh, insane. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I think that this makes things harder for the AFC West in general. And I, I think. You know, all of them have respectable quarterback play now. I, I just think these divisional games are going to be crazy. I mean, we talked about it, but it's like they're going to have five or six primetime games now because they're probably guaranteed to have a primetime game against each AFC West team because they're going to put yeah. Herbert and Russ in primetime. They're going to put Herbert and Mahomes in primetime. And based on the results of last season, they're going to put Herbert and Carr in primetime too. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But Definitely a win for the Broncos. Um, I I'm just curious sure. to see how it holds up long term. Um, who's their uh, new offensive coordinator, by the way? I forget his name. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett's going to be calling plays. I don't know who. Yeah, their actual. OCs, yeah. Though. Well, yeah, Hackett's going to be calling plays. Uh, is, um, did they hire? Am I thinking of is Waldron? Packers tight ends coach. Am I crazy? Or no? Uh, I'm not sure exactly, but. I, I do think, um, yeah, Hackett and that offensive system will kind of be interesting there. And I, I do think the thing to watch with Russ in general is he'll be running a lot of that kind of heavy play action stuff, kind of two by two concepts that he just does in general, where he just picks one side of the field and throws there. Um, so I'll just be curious to see if Staley counteracts that. We talked about the two high safety thing, but more curious to see based on this free agency, whether or not the Chargers will have the personnel to counteract that more so than the scheme. Yeah, so the Broncos offensive coordinator is Justin Outen. Outen, however you say that. Yeah, he was the Packers offensive line coach. So um, no, okay, so he's there, Ronald. Okay, so he's there, Ronaldo Hill, but for offense. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and and, you know, uh, Bolt Brett asking in the chat like the Chargers' history versus Russ. I feel like has been pretty good, and and, you know, uh, Arjun pointed out today, you know, his graphic of Russ's EPA per play. In 2020, his three worst outings were against the Brandon Staley Rams defense and then also the Giants Patrick Graham defense. Obviously, Patrick Graham is the defensive coordinator for the Raiders. So, you know, Russ does have a tendency to struggle against the two high schemes. And now every team he's going to be playing against is going to be playing two high schemes, at least in the division. So um, that's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on for the Seahawks side of things. I mean, they they released Bobby Wagner today or yesterday. They trade Russ, and then they're also like in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, sweepstakes supposedly. So I don't know, man. That 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 whole thing is just weird to me. I, I'm not gonna say like they completely bombed this trade, 
but they should have gotten way more for Russell Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I was just gonna say, I think there's like a real legitimate argument for trading Russell Wilson, like because I mean, giving him the Aaron Rodgers extension until you know he's you know 39 years old, not something I think that uh, you know franchises should be in love with, but. Yeah, the the return is as I said earlier is just really bad. I'm shocked they couldn't get another first round pick or at least right. a Sertan or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's also you know really funny that people were just talking about those picks anyway. It's like Seattle's just been programmed to like kind of you know really sell all their picks and go all in, and now you have to rely on a GM and a coach that have drafted really poorly um, <laughs> in back to back to back years. So. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's a rebuild, but I also don't know if you have the people there that can rebuild. Sorry, I'm just trying to look at the Broncos cap space moving forward. I mean, obviously they give them the extension. I'm curious if it makes some guys available. I don't know who, but I'm curious if they're thinking of making other moves in the future to get yeah. rid of. I mean, they they might get Von Miller back. So that, that's the thing. That's like my takeaway here is that George Payton, their new GM, like that guy. He knows what he's doing over there. I mean, you trade Vaughn Miller for two thirds or whatever it was, and now you're mm-hmm. potentially signing him back. You get, you, you know, you fleece the Seattle Seahawks for Russell Wilson. I mean, George Payton knows what knows what he's doing over there. That's just great. That's awesome. <laughs> Fun stuff. Um, all right, guys. Any other thoughts here on uh, Russell Wilson before we move on to the Mike Williams stuff? Only that I'm really glad I don't have to care about which quarterback is playing for the Chargers because he's going to be playing for us for the next 15 years, pretty much. So, yes. I don't have to worry. And uh, that man going to get 65 plus next year. It's going to be fantastic. Can't wait to see it. Um, all right. So, speaking of 60 plus, obviously the Chargers have uh, done an extension with Mike Williams. He was not franchise tagged, which uh, we all kind of assumed that he was. So we do we did get. The official contract numbers, courtesy of over the cap today for Mike Williams, obviously three years, $60 million. The cap numbers for 2022 is $14 million. So they save about $5 million this year as opposed to franchise tagging him. In 2023, that cap, cap number rises to $19 million. Um, and that's all of his first two seasons are fully guaranteed. And then in 2024, he has a cap number of $27 million. If the Chargers wanted to get out of that contract, they would save $20 million by trading or cutting him. So really kind of a two-year deal, lots of guaranteed money. I know uh, Tyler and Arjun kind of did their thing yesterday. So Alex, we'll start with you, uh, your reaction to the Mike Williams extension. Um, I mean, I was really surprised it happened. Uh, I almost like was I thought it was a certainty he was getting the franchise tag and they'd figure it out sometime down the road. Um, but it seemed like they were really close to a deal. And I sort of also maybe started to figure it out just because of how little we were hearing about it. And I was like, OK, so this kind of makes sense that this is happening. Um, I, I think the deal is really good. I mean, people will pay attention to like the average annual value and just be like, you know, well, I thought he was worth 17 and they think he's worth 20, but like, I, I don't think that that really matters, uh, to me, Tom Telesco kind of, uh, I mean, the cap hits for it have come out, uh, you know, and so I think that the cap hits are pretty sustainable. Some, what is it? It's 14 million year one, 17 next year, then 27, something like that. 14, 19, Um, 14, 19, 27. 
14, 19, 27. So, I mean, I think it's pretty flexible and, you know, they time that contract basically to, uh, you know, end with that Keenan Allen extension that they did. And of course, going into the, the first year of Justin Herbert's, um, you know, new contract extension, whenever that'll be, I'm sure that'll be 60 million, but in average annual value uh, by the time that we get there. So, um, no, I mean, I, th- I think it was a really good extension. They needed to keep him. Um, you know, some people debate whether that was should have just been for one year, but I'm kind of happy it's all behind us now. And at the end of the day, if Justin Herbert wanted Mike Williams, I think that you kind of had to do it. And I'm also happy that they agreed to an extension now, as um, Mr. Kicks points out in the chat here, that, you know, you had Godwin or Adams or these guys that were going to sign big deals potentially after the franchise tag. And then up Mike Williams's value uh, in some yeah. way. So maybe if they do it, you know, in August, they're paying 24 million per year as opposed to 20. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a pretty realistic scenario that could have happened. Um, so I'm happy it happened when it happened. And I think that it's a really good move for the team going forward. You kind of have Keenan, who may be a little bit on the downslope, but you have kind of a surging Mike Williams. Uh, a guy that's going to be there and they could still take a wide receiver in round one. That's still an option that exists for them. And you're going to have Josh Palmer under contract. So I think as far as the receivers, they're pretty set there. Uh, and I just like the kind of consistency and, and going forward with Mike Williams. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I've been in favor of a, a Mike Williams extension for a very long time. I feel like uh, I, I was pretty clear that the franchise tag is kind of where I, I, I saw that going. Um, I'm a little surprised at the amount of guaranteed money, um, you know, $40 million guaranteed 28 of it up front. Um, also Adam Schefter and all these guys who are releasing contract info, like, please be more clear. Like everybody on Twitter was freaking out about him having a $28 million cap hit in the first year. And that just was never going to be the case. So, um, that being said, I'm, I'm really happy that this is happening and, you know, I was reading Daniel Popper's article about it um, yesterday and something that he pointed out that just kind of like really reaffirmed that this is a good thing is that every time the Chargers got into a closely contested game and they needed a big play, they needed a spark, they needed a, a, a really clutch play to be made, it was always going to Mike Williams as opposed to Keenan Allen. And I'm not saying that Mike Williams is like the receiver one or anything like that, but that trust that Justin Herbert has built up with Mike Williams over the last two years cannot be replicated. So of course you had to pay a premium to keep him around, but I've been pretty clear from the start that in order to kind of, you know, take advantage of Herbert's rookie window, like you, you can't get rid of Mike Williams unless you have like a legitimate backup plan in place already on the roster. And they didn't have that. So Mike Williams became essential. I was listening to Colin Coward's show today. He was commenting on it that he reached out to Tom Telesco afterwards and basically said that the sentiment that was expressed was that you can't replace Mike Williams, his physicality, his body type, and also the relationship that he has with Justin Herbert, how important he is. So I'm in favor of this. The extension frees up the $5 million, like I said, this year, gives them some wiggle room next year and the year after that has some flexibility. So I'm happy with this, man. I, I think this was as close to a slam dunk as possible. Obviously, I wish it was a little, you know, $18 million instead. But, you know, I'm happy with this overall. Yeah, and I'm very happy with this, too. And thank you, Arjun, for jumping on and helping out. Because, again, we all saw the $28 million in year one. And we're thinking, 
how are we going to afford anything else? Like that's impossible. <laughs> and of course, yeah. Arjun broke it down and he was very, very close to the exact number. So really good job there. I could have gone either way with this deal. I completely understood bringing him back. I completely understood letting him go and kind of starting over, especially with that cost. But if you're going to bring him back, I don't think they could have done all that much better than this as far as the deal goes. I, I love the deal. I think his cap hit being you know over the next two seasons averages out to 16 and a half million dollars a year and yeah that third yeah. year is huge but you have options you can just cut him for you know it's gonna be seven million dollars in cat dead cap but like that's better than 27 you know <laughs> and that's not that bad and or you can just give him yeah. another year and you, and you can kind of lower that cap hit and push it down the road again so you know his, his cap hit of 14 million dollars this year it's less than nelson Aguilar's. you know it's 18th in the league in 2022 in terms of that cap hit um, and then depends on, you know, obviously the new deals that could happen with, um, you know, Adams or whatever. Um, but then you look at the, the, it's talking about the franchise, like if you franchise tag him this year, you don't get a deal done and you head into next year. And let's say he has, you know, a really good year. The next the free agent crop next year, especially if Adams and Godwin don't get new, new deals and they're just tagged in 2023, the, re the receiver room for the free agents looks like Adams, if they don't get a deal, Godwin, if they don't get a deal, we'll see what happens with Gallup, but then Hill cooks Debo. AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, and even Hunter Renfro. Like all those guys are free agents oh next gosh. year. <laughs> and, and so if he had a better year than all of those guys, what kind of deal would he have had next year after the tag this year? You're not going to tag him again, I don't think, or maybe I guess. Um, so getting this done now in a way that financially, you know, if, if the goal was to keep him, the, doing it now, getting him to have that $14 million cap hit, I think is fantastic. It gives you the room. To do some other things and if it helps you bring back like kaiser white great if it helps you bring back you know even justin jones as a maybe rotational defensive tackle great you know there are some things you can do with this if this is always the plan this is the best possible option i really think it's a two-year deal with an out they really couldn't have done this all that much better yes it's a lot of guarantees i think um where is it i had it somewhere 66 percent right was the the guaranteed amount yeah of the contract that arjun showed yeah i think there was only three receivers that had over $14 million per year, but also 66 or like 60% or more guaranteed. And so, yes, it's a lot, but they do get the Keenan's guaranteed percentage was like 40, wasn't it? It was significantly lower. Like he made the, oh, wow. the four quadrant box and it was Williams and like two other dots. Like the, that's how much was guaranteed and how much those guarantees were. But, you know, it's only three years. It's really only two years. They can get it after two years and it's going to save them money, I think, in the long run. And obviously this year, it saves them money to go do, you know, what they need to do. Yeah. And really quickly, shout out to Arjun. He's got a Mike Williams article drop in tomorrow. Mm -hmm. His prediction for the specific cap hits was basically dead on. So Arjun, uh, definitely take a bow there. And uh, anyone else that wants to steal his data, make sure you're going to give him a shout out next time. So uh, <laughs> quick shout out for Arjun there. Um, but all in all, I do think this is, this is really good for the Chargers. The question here, obviously, is where do they go from here in terms of improving the skill players around Keenan Allen and Mike Williams? And I know everybody kind of wants to focus in on the defense, but I mean, the Chargers need a, another weapon. I think you have your, your quote-unquote big three with Austin Eckler in there, but whether it's a tight end or another receiver or something like that, you know, they, they do need another weapon to kind of add to that whether it's, you know, Zach Ertz, Alex's guy or something else, Cordero Patterson. Um, but I would expect the Chargers, because of this friendly cap number, to be able to go out and get another weapon uh, to be able to pair with the rest of the other guys. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of whether they or not they want to add um, Ertz or Patterson. I think they'll add definitely one guy in free agency that kind of is the primary like offensive weapon for them. And then I think probably in the draft, obviously, they'll take a wide receiver, whether or not that's in the yeah. first round or not later on. Um, you know, there's some value there, of course. And, you know, maybe they take another tight end in the draft, too. But I definitely don't think they're done building on offense just because they gave this money to Mike Williams there. There's, I mean, now that you have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, uh, you do have a small speed problem. Um, you know, I mean, that that is something yeah. that I think they'll have to get a little bit more shifty in terms of the receivers behind those guys, in terms of the running backs behind Austin Eckler, uh, who run, you know, combined uh, slower than Jordan Davis numbers right now. Uh, and so, you know, I do think that, you know, as a whole, the offense around those guys, if you are going to build it that way, does need to get a little bit faster um, in the spots where they can. Yeah, I'm going to go with, and we sort of talked about it before the show. Uh, I assume a veteran tight end is the way they want to go. Telesco has kind of expressed that the room is sort of lacking that presence right now. And then, yeah, in the draft, find someone in the round you want. You know, let the draft sort of, you can kind of let it come to you. If it's a great edge rusher at 17, you can take him. Or if you want to go Jordan Davis 17, you can take him. And then round two, you can find somebody else that's fast. Round three, find somebody else that's fast that can hold a run or a whole route tree. You know, day three, Tyquan Thornton. Like there are guys all throughout this draft, I feel like yeah. more than last year, that can really, really burn or get yards after the catch, whatever your flavor is. And I think either whether it's a burner or yards after the catch guy or both, there's I think in each round you can find a guy that can do that. Some are better than others. So I think I think they're pretty, you know, well set up. I just I hope that's what they go for. I hope they don't go find you know, David Bell, like, oh, yes, now we have our wide receiver three. Like, I just, I hope that's not the case. They don't need David Bell. You know, you're not, you're not into that uh, 1.7 RES score. <laughs> no, no. Jeez, it was that bad. It was, it was I worse didn't... than, I heard he had a bad, yeah, I want a receiver slower than Larry Roundtree. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Forty times not not everything, but I need you to not to not be a one point seven RAS score. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I'm really curious to see how that one pans out. I wouldn't be surprised, like Tyler is saying, like you know, if Jamison Williams was the pick at seventeen, if he's there, of course, you know, I, I, sign me up for that, man. Like I, I totally would understand that move. So um, we'll we'll talk about Jordan Davis in a minute as we get to uh, some of these big interior defensive linemen. Um, guys, before we get there, any other uh, final thoughts on Mike Williams' extension? Uh, no, just happy to continue the narrative of not taking care of your guys, including <laughs> Joey Bosa, Keenan Allen, Derwin James, KCA. We're like, come on. Like, I hope we're past this. I assume that we are as a, an organization or not organization, as a species. As a I hope we're past. Yeah, as a fan base. I hope as a human race, we are past this whole Chargers don't care, take care of their own thing. Especially yeah, when they extend Derwin James at about yeah, Mike no. Williams is Mike Williams is fourth, the fourth highest uh, APY. You know, I was told the Chargers were too cheap, so I, I don't. That yeah. must be a typo. It, the Chargers could give eighty million dollars to Justin Herbert per year tomorrow, and they would still <laughs> call him cheap, dude. Like they're never going to get over that. <laughs> true, very true. Um, all right. That being said, we're going to jump back into uh, some of our draft rankings. You know those those Jordan Davis's guys and all the Georgia players. I think if you just put 10 Georgia defensive tackles right here, I think you'd probably have an accurate list, but uh, yeah. uh, really excited to see how this one pans out. As always, we're going to go 10 to seven and then six through four and then the top three. So I'll kick us off here this time at number 10. I have Fedarian Mathis from Alabama. 
I know that's going to be a surprise to some people, but it is what it is. And then number nine, I have DeMarvin Leal, a.k.a. Jerry Tillery 2.0. Uh, shout out to our guy, Brentley. Since he mentioned that comparison to me, I cannot unsee it. Um, so now all of you get to see it, too, if you ever watch his tape. Um, at number eight, I have Logan Hall from Houston, uh, a little bit of an undersized interior pass rusher. And then number seven, I have Matthew Butler from Tennessee. And Butler's the guy that I yeah. want to highlight here because this, I was a big, big fan of him. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Tyler does all the composite rankings. He was fifth in interior defensive line composite ranking. So very productive and disruptive defensive tackle. I think he checks a lot of the boxes that, specifically the chargers are looking for in terms of like your three technique four technique five technique kind of player um i think he is able to really win at the point of attack with his explosiveness and i mentioned his violent hands this man was tossing dudes left and right and especially against pittsburgh and old his tape against old miss was really really funny uh we can talk about that <laughs> yeah. in a second but i just really like the way that he's able to shed blocks he's not necessarily got the strongest anchor you know he is susceptible to mm -hmm. uh getting washed down a little bit but he always has a counter for whatever the offensive linemen are throwing at him so that's something that i really appreciate as opposed to just like continuing to be washed down or like continuing to be blocked like he always is just fighting you know clawing for to be able to go shed the block to be able to go make a play and all the tape that i watched shows a very productive player so Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of him. I think the the pass rushing ability is a little bit of a work in progress, but you know he actually shows some good flashes. There's a cross chop in there against uh, uh, Pittsburgh that I watched. There's a bend and a dip and rip. So uh, I think there's enough there for me uh, for Matthew Butler to have him comfortably in that third to fourth round range. Mm -hmm. And I really really like the player. He's somebody that you know if the Chargers do decide to not draft a Jordan Davis or a Travis Jones or somebody like that in the first and second round, I would be more than okay, you know, waiting until the fourth round to get a guy like Matthew Butler. So uh, he's at seven for me. Big fan of him. Yeah. Matthew Butler is the guy that the old Miss quarterback tried to statue of Liberty and he just holds onto the ball, like pretending that he didn't hand the ball off. And Butler just does not give one shit about it. Like he runs and just slams the quarterback, causes a sack fumble. It was one of the funniest sacks I've seen because the quarterback was trying to be so slick, but then he got run over. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I really like Butler. I think the thing that sticks to me out to me, and he did, he did make my top ten. The thing that sticks out the most to me is his ability to bend and flatten to the quarterback with that rip move. I was just surprised. Like it's a good quick first step, then there's some bend he can rip and then kind of flatten to the quarterback in a way that. I don't know. Ever yeah. since Gavino did that breakdown with Akeem Hicks, it's something that it not that I've never looked for, you know, a, a pass rusher flattening to the quarterback, but it's something I sort of look for more because I didn't know that was possible in defensive Especially tackles. Defensive watching, tackles, yeah, yeah, because I've been watching Jerry Tillery. And it's like, what you can do that? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. So our standards uh, for pass rushing defensive yes. tackles are just so low. Yeah, that when that's we see we, good ones, we're just yeah. like, oh my god. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it was like the Rashawn Slater effect. It's like well, you can be good at tackle. <laughs> um, so yes, I am a fan of Matthew Butler. That's a good call. Yeah, and just uh, really quickly, he was coached by a Chargers defensive uh, secondary assistant, Derek Ansley, at the University of Tennessee. So we know that last year the Chargers kind of really drafted a lot of players that they were tied to, and uh, Derek Ansley was the defensive coordinator at Tennessee uh, up until last year. So he is connected to uh, Matthew Butler. Very nice. Nice. I don't know who's Al next. Alex, you want to go next? 
Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go next, and I have Matthew Butler in my top ten list in the same range as Steven. So I'll just say a quick piece on him. But uh, I I really enjoyed watching him. Tested well at the combine as well, and it's just he one did. of those guys where I feel like if he started, you know, kind of more games, I think he ended up starting twenty six out of fifty three um at uh Tennessee I just feel like if he had more of those reps then he'd be closer to being like a top five guy consensus in this class um but I I did really enjoy his tape and as as Tyler pointed out the the Statue of Liberty clip is just hilarious uh you just gotta watch it but um I will go from my 10 to 7 I do have uh Ohio State's Haskell Garrett at number 10 I have John Ridgeway at number nine I have eight Matthew Butler and number seven, I have uh, Federian Mathis. I guess I'll spend this time talking about Haskell Garrett because I think he's kind of interesting. Um, he got shot in the face, and he's still that was him. That's right. Here. Uh, yeah, that he got shot in the face. Uh, also survived being coached by Urban Meyer, uh, which I think vaults you up the power rankings uh, here. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, I, I, as as a three guy, uh, I. Um, that he has like pretty good shown on tape uh is a little bit of like a work in progress kind of guy i you know which is why i have him at number 10 as opposed to like higher um on this list but had some pretty good production um and i think yeah he obviously went to the senior bowl um you know didn't put up a good ras score but also he's like a i don't know he's sort of the three technique guy like i don't think he's supposed to ceramic when you consider his body type um but is a little bit on the small side um but i i do think he shows a lot of power the one thing you'll have to improve with him i think in the nfl is just the amount of pass rushing moves he has i think he does get a little stumped at times um and that's also the case with someone like uh demarvin leal uh who, who will come up a little bit later on my list uh, as is Jerry Tillery 2.0, like Steven said. Yeah. So uh, I do think he's, um, you know, get why someone will all the time. decide to just make him that shot in the face, which I think is really interesting. So that's why I haven't been my top 10. I'm sorry, Alex, you were, you were frozen for quite a lot of that. Sounded really convincing though, man. Like a, a lot of passion. Uh, after the after the Leal thing, I, I didn't really catch anything else after it's that. It's a sign about Leal. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do think Haskell Garrett is an interesting guy. He, you know, he just missed the cut for me. Um, you know, he this this interior defensive tackle class. I will say that there there there's always a cutoff, right? And for me, that that cutoff was uh, Myron Tagovailoa Amos from Notre Dame. After that, I was just like, ah, oh, these guys are the same. So, um, you know, Federian Mathis, I think, is the interesting one. He's, uh, I'm curious mm-hmm. to see where Tyler has him. So, Tyler, uh, why don't you go 10 through 7? Okay, so at number 10, I have Matthew Butler. At 9, DeMarvin Leal. At 8, I have Perion Winfrey. Mm-hmm. 7, Ioma Uwazurike from Iowa State. And we're stopping at 7, so I won't go any further. Um, I do want to say one thing about Winfrey, but I want to talk about Leal next. Um, Winfrey, just looking at the statue, like I do like him, and honestly, like eight through five are really close to me. It's just a coin toss. But Winfrey had 11 pressures to open the season against Tulane and Western Carolina, and he got half yeah, 11 pressures and half of his sacks there. 
and 11 pressures in those two games. But it took yeah. him the next eight games just to pass the next 11. And he ended up, you know, only ended up with 12 you know, in those eight games. So I'm a little worried that this guy has, you know, six sacks and 25 run stops in like two seasons or whatever it is. Um, but that's just a whole other thing. Uh, Leal for me is the one. He's the second interior defensive lineman I evaluated. And that was a while ago. And there are there are flashes there for sure. Like, don't get me wrong. This is not a terrible player. But I wrote down, and it's just the weirdest thing that so many people came down to the same conclusion that he's like Jerry Tillery. And to me, <laughs> I just could not get that out of my head. And he just keeps moving down the board because of that. And I'm sure that there are things that he can do at the next level that he'll be fantastic at. I'm sure he can get, you know, he's, he's, he's top 10 on my list. He's not terrible. But, man, the guy just can't anchor down. He And then he, and then he tested poorly. And if you start seeing these things, and you just... You think of him as Jerry Tillery. He can't anchor down. He tests poorly. Not not poorly, but like, you know, Jordan Davis, right? And you have DeMarvin Leal, who's supposed to be kind of a twitched up, move all over, you know, edge rusher, defensive tackle type. He gets like a seven RAS score. There's just nothing there that's like, wow, this is the traits I really want to bet on. So, you know, I do think him being able to be a stand-up edge rusher on the outside on occasion is really fascinating, but it's fascinating. It's like, you being able to do things because you did them in college is great, but can you do them well? And I just don't right. think that he did everything that was like super, super great. I was like, wow, that's really intriguing. There are some other guys like, uh, who is it? Like, I'd, if you want looking for a guy who can play sort of, you know, inside, outside a little bit more, I'd rather find, well, like, you know, Ioma Uwazirike, like someone who can actually sort of hold up against the run, but is a better pass rusher, in my opinion, and has and can kind of anchor down a little bit more. So, yeah, Leal has just been... I liked watching him, and it got worse the more I thought about it. <laughs> I, I think he shows some good traits, and I, you know, Alex can certainly you know defend him more than uh, the both of us will because I think he has him higher. But I, I think he's really quick and explosive off the ball. I think he does have you know one or two pass rush moves. It's just that if he doesn't win off the line, then he is screwed. So that really is the biggest thing for me. I think you watch him against the top tier competition that he had, then you see kind of his worst games, right? Like you, you watch him against Alabama and you watch him against Ole Miss or not Ole Miss, excuse me, Mississippi state. Then you see Charles cross and Evan Neal and all these guys, and they just dominated against DeMarvin Leal. So he's just not somebody that I'm, I'm super interested in. I did not grade the Iowa state defensive tackle, but I will say that guy had a pretty good game against uh, Trevor Penning. He did. Who is a, you know, you know, barring a, a shocking result, it, it is going to be a top 15 pick. So um, I, I think that matters too. So Tyler mentioned uh, Perry on Winfrey from Oklahoma. He is sixth on my list at five. I have Neil Farrell from LSU. And then at four, I have Josh Pascal from Kentucky. So mm. that's going to be the biggest surprise. I feel like for people, Josh yeah, Pascal wow. listed as an edge rusher on PFF and TDN. I have him kicking inside. He lost weight for the combine, which I did not really understand. I wanted him to test with the interior defensive lineman, but I think he's got really ideal. I think he has the ideal traits and mentality to be that three, four, I five technique kind of player that Brandon Staley really seems to like when you're talking about Roy Robinson Harris, or when you're talking about Draymond Jones, I think Josh Pascal fits that to a T. Um, very disruptive and productive player. Like I said, Tyler has him seventh at edge 
in, instead of defensive tackle. So that shows you just kind of really how productive he is. Um, so he's somebody that I'm really interested in kicking inside. I think this, he just has, he's so well built out and he's so violent in his approach that I, I just am really a big fan of his game. If you watch his tape, he is more disruptive against guards and centers. And so that's kind of my thinking there along with his physicality and frame that I would want to kick him inside. So I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a surprise to some, but I would like to see Josh Pascal after he lost weight, add like 15, 20 pounds and really play on as an inside physical interior rusher and be able to kind of win against guards and centers as opposed to trying to be a bendy twitchy edge rusher which i just don't really think suits him but as an interior guy clearly i am a big fan of his yeah i wasn't the biggest fan of him as an edge rusher i don't recall if i had him in my top 10 he might have been 11th or, or 10th or something like that but i remember writing down like man this guy could be a lot better on the inside and so yeah. the more i thought about it the more i kind of you know, I thought of it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, that totally makes sense. He's a guy that went up because the more I thought about it, unlike a, a DeMarvin Leal. I just think he, unlike like a DeMarvin Leal, like Leal, you want to hopefully you can get him to be a better run defender. Maybe he bulks up and maybe work on the pass rush. I think Pascal just immediately is going to be a pretty decent run defender for you. And he can stay on the field while he develops that pass rush. And like right now, he's just a very quick like gap shooter you know, pass rusher on the interior. And that's great. And But I think because he can stay on the field on early downs as well, that makes him really valuable. So he's um, not, what's he for you? Fifth? Uh, he's fourth. Fourth. Okay. He's not that high on my list, but I do really like him as well. Yeah. Um, I, I think it'll be kind of interesting to see uh, what happens with like a lot of these guys after you get really past the first three. Cause I feel like we have a pretty good idea that you get kind of Davis, Wyatt and Jones uh, being the first three that go off the board. And then I think yeah. as we kind of said, after probably Perry on Winfrey and even the evaluators are a little bit lower on Neil Farrell than I think we are kind of combined. Yes. It just kind of becomes a little bit random. Um, so I'll be curious to see what happens with that. Um, as for my six to four, I do have uh, Texas A&M's uh, DeMarvin Leal at number six, uh, which is kind of going to be my disagreement. But Neil Farrell at five and then Perry on Winfrey at four. Um, so, OK, I do get the Jerry Tillery 2.0 thing. Um, <laughs> the, the one the one thing I have with that is that. Jerry Tillery just has some really bad work ethic, man. Like, I mean, there, <laughs> there are true. some problems that I think are localized to Jerry Tillery. And I just feel like that's not going to apply to every prospect a little bit, especially when you talk about like the dumb penalties that Jerry Tillery commits and stuff like that. Um, and I, I do think Leal has that kind of like upward trajectory. I also just believe watching his film, he's a little bit of a more fluid mover than like Jerry Tillery is like Jerry Tillery is yeah. very much like one speed all the time uh, for to his detriment and you know even his success when he does get a sack so I just I feel like yeah. Leal was a bit more of a fluid mover and also like he is going up against Evan Neal and some of those guys I do feel like you can kind of create a defensive lineman where you know he does bulk up a little bit gain some of that functional strength and I feel like we would be saying less of the, the Jerry Tillery stuff. Um, I, I do get kind of the limited skill set, but I just his pure attributes alone and sort of where he can go in the NFL. I couldn't go quite as low as nine 
because then you're putting him like I don't know on my list with like Ridgeway and Garrett and I think he has more upside than that <laughs> um you know so sure. for me if we're talking about them as prospects that's kind of why I had Leal higher um and you know he did struggle against some of those uh high competition games like Alabama but also like a lot of people struggle against Alabama. Like, I don't know that that is a thing. So I, I'm not the biggest Leal defender, but I do think that the, the Tillery comparison kind of works in, in terms of describing his game a little bit, but I do think he can take it further than Jerry Tillery, who I think was kind of always limited versus I can kind of see Leal getting a little bit better against the run. Oh, I didn't realize we had a uh, Gavino in the chat. What's up Gavino. Hope everything is going well. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's just like the lack of variety in ways that Leal can win. And as Gavino points out, just like the lack of strength and anchor against the run. So I, I totally get what you're saying. Like he definitely, you know, shows like a good athlete and very mobile on tape. And I do think he, he like, he's not gonna be a first round pick like Jerry Tillery. And I do think that obviously we would feel very different about Jerry Tillery if he were not a first round pick. So hopefully he goes into a, a better situation without the expectations. Um, and, and like, I, I think he's a fine prospect. I just like these other guys better. We'd also feel very differently about Jerry Tiller if we weren't Chargers fans. <laughs> <laughs> Would we know who he is? Uh, probably not. <laughs> no, if we were fans of another team and we had a podcast about another team, we would just be like, man, we're cooking that 99 guy a lot today, huh? <laughs> well, there was um, during one of my interviews with, with the Chiefs guy I did, he was like, oh, Jerry Tillery is always good against us. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> kind of. I guess. Well, well, Jerry Tillery did have that. He had that 2021 game, right? Where he just like he got like five quarterback hits on Mahomes because other people were opening stuff up for him. Like, that's, that's probably true. the one game where I think that's Jerry true. Tillery that had that like explosion. And every week two then, in 2020, he was good down. as well. Yeah. I mean, when they had like 30 pressures against Mahomes, too. So, I mean, I guess that is kind of a fair comment. <laughs> Jerry Tillery, when Patrick Mahomes doesn't have an offensive line, elite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tyler, let's get to your list here. Okay. So, number six, I do have Josh Pascal from Kentucky. Okay. At number five, I have Federian Mathis. Uh, at number four, I have Neil Farrell Jr. Um, I'm obviously. Very high on Neil Farrell Jr., but I do want to talk about Federico Mathis because I thought it was very interesting the way I came about, like sort of liking him because everyone has him as like a power or anchor guy, and that's what I graded him worst on. So I don't know what games that I missed oh. um, because everyone, like I think Gavino agrees, it's like power and anchor. I think you graded him. Steven, I do too. Yeah, power anchor. That's the and only thing like, I like about him. <laughs> and I, I felt the opposite. It was so weird like, to me. Like. So that's why I want to talk about it. Like to me, Mathis, I see a twitchy pass rusher, you know, along the interior with a half decent array of pass rush moves. Um, you know, the, the long arm, the jab, he's got a rip. I sometimes see that, you know, hesitation, swiper club back inside. A lot of these guys have that. Um, the thing I guess it is to me is in the run game. And it's funny because again, I didn't see him like a, you know, Jordan Davis be able to, to anchor and power the way I would have liked to. But to me, the way and the way he's so good laterally and the quickness that he has to beat, you know, front side blockers on the wide zone blocking or whatever, I just thought I was impressed with that. And granted, you, know, you can't always just it's not just going to be like a you know halfback toss or some sort of outside zone lead or whatever. But I thought the way he was able to approach that laterally and the way he could win laterally against the run like that was very impressive. So you have a guy who I, you guys apparently think he's super powerful and has an anchor. And I think he's a very decent, you know, pass rusher who can win on some, you know, zone blocking. Um, so to me, like 
again, my my five through eight, it's a coin toss. I almost don't care which one I put in front. But to me, I, I see sort of the traits that Mathis has. Those are the ones I want to bet on the most. I know Gavino still hates me because he has him at two. I don't quite see that yet. Um, he's actually going to be graded probably behind Pascal for me, to be honest. And, and he was behind Uwa Zerike for me. But I'm just going to try to bet on the traits of what I've seen and kind of also take your guys' word for it that there maybe just were games where I missed that anchor in power because I saw some pass rush potential, a guy who can work some things into the run game. And so I think because he can, I think, play all three downs, um, I I believe in him, but only at five. <laughs> well, I mean, you believe in him more than we do. So he didn't make your list, right, Alex? Mathis? Talking about... Uh, yeah, Mathis, we're talking about yeah. Mathis. Yeah, uh, I had him at seven. Oh, uh, okay. No, so he was, he was on my list. Um, okay, I just so I had him at 10, Alex had seven. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, high variance. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the one so far. I, I will say I want to talk about Neil Farrell here for a second because Please. all of us are big fans of his, and he's like three hundred and eighty third or whatever on <laughs> TDN's big board. Like, what the hell are we watching with Neil Farrell, man? So I, I'm, I've mentioned the composite rankings that Tyler has done. Neil Farrell has the highest ranking in terms of the composite ranking. Like this yeah. man, I know. Like you, you watch him and you look at his physical profile, like how he checked into the combine, and you think like, oh, like he's just this stocky nose tackle he's tyler shelvin 2.0 and that is not the case man like mm -hmm. he is highly disruptive player against the pass rush too so i have a five really the only like him and josh pascal are graded very similar to me i think there's like mm -hmm. 0.4 difference between the two but pascal i think has more upside as a pass rusher just because yeah. of his his profile and his traits so that's why i have him higher but i love neil farrow man mm -hmm. i i think we all wish that he would have tested a little bit better and, and maybe lost some weight a little bit before the combine. But I, I think in terms of getting like a fourth round nose tackle, like he's clearly the best option there. And so, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Neil Farrell. I think he's way too low on people's boards. You know, I've seen some other podcasters that I respect have him at like 10 or off their top 10. And I just don't see him. And I, I think you watch specifically against UCLA and specifically against uh, mm -hmm. Florida were the two games where I was like, okay, like this guy has real pass rushing chops and he's got the hand usage that I yeah. really like to see. He's got the anchor. He can shed blocks, set the line of scrimmage. So I'm a big fan of Neil Farrell. And I wish he were getting more hype around just kind of social media from what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Neil Farrell enough to put him at number five. Uh, and I think we we're all, all, all on number five or number four with him. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's really good. The, the one kind of conspiracy theory I have is just like, I feel like there's a lot of like LSU was bad this year. So maybe LSU prospects kind of get pushed down, uh, cool. a little bit versus, you know, Alabama, obviously it's Alabama. And so they kind of got pushed up, but I also do think it's kind of, you know, this is one of those cases where I also think you use the combine as a resource more than you use the combine as like the be all end all. Because if you saw mm -hmm. one point, whatever RAS score on Neil Farrell, you'd be like, oh, I'm really concerned. But if you watch his tape and then saw that score, you'd come to be like, oh, well, like, you know, this isn't great, but also it doesn't change my view on him as a player versus, I don't know, if you see a player who's slow on tape and then he tests, you know, really poorly then I think you kind of, you know, have to kind of change your priors or like confirm your priors a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. But with Neil Farrell, I just, you know, I think the RAS score just kind of wasn't indicative of him. And some of these guys just have 
bad days at the combine. Yeah, I was so surprised by the RAS score. And granted, I don't know what you know shape he's in, or I don't know you know how he runs a forty. Like I wouldn't have really guessed that. But I mean, this guy just—we talked about the composite rankings, just the way he tested or he he ranked out statistically. I mean, second in run stops, third in run stop rate, fourth in average depth of tackle, fifth in pass rush productivity, third in pass rush win rate. He's the only guy I think on the entire list to be top eight in every category, and yet he's on TDNs like on their predictive board two fifty something. <laughs> their big word 300 something yeah. i think um bleacher report and pro football focus have him as like a top 75 player which like i could, I could that works yeah. that works especially as a guy who's a sort of perceived nose tackle but the thing about him man like i think he's a better pass rusher than than run defender in my opinion not that he's like a really like developed pass rusher but he's so quick he knows how to attack that half man kind of perfectly he can blow pass through the guard um they've worked him on stunts um he just He's so quick to me. I didn't really see that at the combine, unfortunately. It's not going to show up on the RAS score. But where I do think it shows up is if you watch him, I think nobody was bear-hugged more off the line than Neil Farrell. If you watch him <laughs> against guys, he's so much quicker than a lot of these guys that you'll see them kind of go high and bear-hug him because he gets into their chest faster. And to me, I think he's honestly of the, you know, he's like the last, you know, true two down like i feel good about him or not excuse me three down um two way so pass rush and run defense i feel good about him there in a way that i, I really don't feel about with like i think pascal can work on the pass rush i think mathis can work on the run defense i think farrell yes he's a you know nose tackle but i think he can play all three downs and so i again i'm he's fourth for me i'm really high on him you know, he's a good dude i like the lsu guys apparently you know a big tyler shelvin fan big fahoko fan this year big farrell yeah. jr fan here don't know what it is and to me you know this guy being number one in our composite rankings and so high in every stat category but being on a bad lsu team and him to have all these numbers despite being the only guy there at least that's draft eligible along that defensive line if i'm not mistaken that's pretty impressive so i think he's he's just far too low on, on tdn's board i don't get it they have him i think as an undrafted free agent in their grades at least the grade that's posted and that just does not make any sense to me I think NFL never. I think the NFL Network guys have him as like a sixth, seventh round pick. Like, ah, I, I don't get that. Like, I, I, I mean, he he could go that low, but I, I think from an evaluation standpoint, like, I think he should be higher. So, um, big Neil Farrell fans on this show, which I, I love to see. Mm-hmm. So, um, number three for me, I have Jordan Davis there. I know that's going to be kind of crazy. Everybody's going to hate that. Number two, I have Devontae Wyatt. Uh, the Georgia teammates go back to back. I do have those two graded very closely for what it's worth, but I do think that uh, Devontae Wyatt's pass rushing ability really just gives him a much higher ceiling in terms of true Mm -hmm. impact in the NFL as opposed to Jordan Davis's, and that really is the difference there. At number one, I do have Travis Jones. This is somebody that I really love to see. Uh, I went to watch him in person when UConn played Fresno State here, and I was like, man, who's this defensive tackle that's just like running all over the place, just wrecking shit? And it was Travis Jones. So um, my in-game experience was obviously very good. His tape against Clemson was just fantastic, man. He was so disruptive in that game. And then, of course, at the Senior Bowl where he was one of the best players there. So I think there are certainly some concerns, particularly I I think he does have the tendency to get a little high in his path level. I think Jordan Davis also has that tendency. Um, But to me, you watch the upside in terms of the pass rushing ability for Travis Jones. And I think he's the best two-way defensive tackle prospect in this class in that regard, because I do think he gives you legitimate pass rushing future. 
as well as a dominant run defender uh, floor going forward. So I'm a big fan of his. Very disruptive, very quick off the ball, great hand usage. He's got a double swipe. He's got a swim move. He's got a rip. And so really, like, you you wouldn't expect to pop on Connecticut tape and see the best defensive tackle in the class and the most well-rounded, but I think he is right there. And and I know that Jordan Davis tested like a freak, but Travis Jones also tested like a Close. freak, man. I think his RAS score was like 9.6 or something like mm-hmm. that. So um, obviously, Jordan Davis's athleticism, what he did at the Combine, was insane. But Travis Jones also in that same conversation for somebody who's 6'6", 335 pounds. Yeah, he's he's awesome. I, I think of the three, the top three, and I think we all have the same or like a same common sort of combination of the top three. Yeah. I feel like that's the upside you want to bet on because when he makes plays, I feel like he makes like some like the biggest plays. To yeah. me, like I don't have him number one uh, because of some inconsistency, but the plays sure. that he makes, that's what you want to bet on so much. And that's why he's probably the third guy into your defensive lineman taken and i totally get it like that's a guy like you said who can he's pretty balanced as both a run defender um and as as a pass rusher so yeah it's obviously a good call there these three guys are all great you're muted alex alex you're muted still muted Uh, I know. I was just going to say the concept of Connecticut and Clemson tape is uh, really funny. <laughs> and the fact that there's one person on Connecticut who belongs on the same field as people with Clemson yeah. is just a, a credit to Travis Jones. Um, I have him at number three. I guess Tyler will go next. Um, but yeah, to me, other than the two Georgia guys, um, I didn't think that there was much distinction between them at all. And obviously all three of our top three guys tested incredibly well at the combine and, and kind of backed up their tape as well. So I, I think betting on the Travis Jones future is, is sort of good, but yeah, I like Tyler. I did have some of the same inconsistency problems, um, but overall I, I think he's going to be a great prospect. And unfortunately probably out of round two range for, for the chargers now based on that combine. And also Alex, I think you're second. Huh? Oh, was I second? Oh, go, oh, going second? Oh, I didn't, yeah, didn't notice I if yeah, I was. Okay. All right, well, I'll get to my list then. Uh, I do have number three, Travis Jones. I do have number two, Devontae Wyatt. And I do have number one, Jordan Davis. Uh, this is very predictable. I feel like if you just follow me or anything I've been saying, I think Steven for a little bit did have me kind of buying the like, okay, he's only a two down player. And, you know, I understood that. But then the combine came and I'm like, ah, I, I can't do it. And, you know, he ends up scoring the second best combine score of all time to Calvin Johnson. Um, it, like That's just an insane sentence that came out of my mouth, uh, you know, for a guy of his size and stature. Um, but to me, just like on tape, he was, you know, uh, everyone talks about him as a run defender. But like what he creates, I guess, in, in the pass rush game as well. Um, even though maybe he's not getting those sacks, but he's also like opening up other holes for those guys to like consistently go through. And it's why Devontae Wyatt has a couple sacks. And it's why a lot of these other Georgia defensive guys have sacks too, uh, in addition to how good they are. So um, just an absolute freak of nature. I, I don't, I do get the two down thing. And like, that's probably why a lot of teams, you know, will pass on him before you get to like 15. That's probably going to be like the first spot where he could theoretically be taken. A lot of people project him to the chargers as well uh, in, in these mock drafts. But to me, 
he's like kind of the most slam dunk prospect that you have in this list. And for me, that just kind of counts for something. I do understand the lack of pass rush value, but for me, I am going to go Jordan Davis. Number one. No, I I totally get that. And and for, you know, it's being the, I'm not a Jordan Davis guy or whatever. Like I personally don't care much about the stamina issues that people are talking about. I, I mean, the man lost 23 pounds or something before the combine. Like, I have no doubt that he's going to get into good shape to play football and and play a three down player. Like, I think we also have to realize that, you know, like he had two other first rounders next playing next to him. Like, of course, you're going to take out Jordan Davis for Devontae Wyatt and Jalen Carter and Trayvon Walker, for that matter, to rush the passer. So I'm not too concerned about his weight. I'm not too concerned about his stamina. That's not really why I have him down here. I think um, I, I think, you know, most of my concerns are relative to the, the lack of a pass rush and the really high pad level kind of pops up every once in a while more than I would like to see. So again, I am not concerned about his stamina. I'm not mm-hmm. concerned about the snap counts. I think that changes in the NFL. And I think he can, he has shown that he has the ability to handle that kind of change, really care about his eating and be able to yeah. get in shape. So I'm not worried about that at all. Yeah, I, I'm certainly very. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I, I'm happy that he showed up, you know, low, with less. I yeah. can't speak today. Um, he dropped weight, and I think unlike a Daniel Falele, where that is like a concern, and the weight just stayed the same, which maybe that's you know good for him. But Jordan Davis did show up. He did lose weight, and he clearly worked on his drills because he tested again like a freak. Uh, to me, by the way, my my list is. Travis Jones, three, Devontae White, two, Jordan Davis, one. Um, So I am in agreement with Alex there. We do have the same uh, first guy. There's a play versus Kentucky. And he didn't win this, but I just thought it was so impressive. It's a quarterback sneak, and the two guards in the center both converge on him for the quarterback sneak. The the quarterback completely botches the snap. I think the center botches the snaps. The whole play ends up being crap. But the two guards in the center are on top of Davis, and they do initially beat him. And he ends up getting, you know, going on all fours with both his hands around the ground. And then at some point, he just like stands up with three people on him and he goes full Hulk out of the movies and just deadlifts all of them. It's just it's one of the craziest things. And maybe it was kind of because they knew the play was sort of over. But like him be able to just do that in that game is fantastic. And then later in the game, the guard blocks him one on one. He just throws him to the ground to me. Yeah. You know, it's very obvious. I don't I don't know if you'll like this comparison, but like. In the same way, Ike Mikwanu is like his calling card is the best of any tackle. What he does in the run game is the best of any tackle. And that's why some people like a Brandon Thornhaven number one. To me, what Jordan Davis does at what he's good at and why he's at least a surefire guy at what he's good at, I don't think anyone does it defends the run better than him. And again, like he's he's number one in run stop rate, number two in average depth of tackle. He hasn't missed a single tackle in two seasons. Like there's nobody in the group that can reset the line of scrimmage in the run game like he can. I think there's no one that can use his hands to stack and shed while keeping his eyes on that ball carrier. I don't think anybody else can really do that like him on a consistent basis. But what separates him and why someone like Ben Fennel, I believe, has him more as like that not a, a, a gap guy, but actually like a, oh, well, I forget what he's penetrator. Yeah. He has a penetrator. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not unique here, but his ability to be so quick off the line, you know, there was a point where I watched so many, you know, reps where like, man, like these guys are just aren't blocking. Well, they're not, you know, and maybe that's part of it. The offensive line wasn't blocking well, but at some point it's like, 
maybe he's just really fast and maybe he's just faster than anybody else can keep up with. You know, he's just a, a 341 pound, whatever he is, you know, gap shooting monster. And so, you know, yeah, the, he's, we all know he's not going to be a guy who's going to impact the game. It's like, he's not gonna have, he doesn't have a rip move. There's no bend. There's no dip. There's nothing. There's no secret. He's exactly what you think he is and him being, you know, two, three, you know, four, whatever, for some people I totally get, you know, to me, the, the impact he has in the passing game, I think it comes down to one of three things. It's his ability to obviously free up other people. That's obvious. Um, two, just straight up power, you know, a gap pressure, you know, and then three, just being able to, um, you know, oh, frick what was the other thing I was going to say, forget it. Point is <laughs> I've got the third, sorry, I forgot the third thing. Um, but yes, I, I'm a big Jordan Davis fan. I just think what he does is better than anybody else. Um, he's a freak. You know, if, if teams are going to be facing some sort of, you know, unstoppable force. They need to have an immovable object. And that's him. The guy who's got the balance. He's got the leverage. He has this weird quickness to him. He tested off the charts. He was number one. He was my number one before the combine, but he's definitely the number one now because of what he did. You know, he can, he can put, he's, he's a guy that resets so often that I, I see him have on RPOs, like creating some sort of pressure or collapsing the pocket on an RPO where it's like a uh, throw or hands it off or whatever it is. Like he's able to do it so quickly, squeeze the interior of the pocket so much and accelerate the clock for the quarterback. You know, while I don't think he'll be a true pass rusher, I think he can affect the pass enough um, where there's value there. So he's my number one, um, and I'm very confident with that. Yeah, I uh, I totally get what you guys are saying. Uh, yeah, I think that well-roundedness for me just kind of made the difference. But one of the things that I do have in my notes for Jordan Davis is that he's not a line of scrimmage setter. He's a line of scrimmage wrecker or destroyer. The man mm -hmm. just, like, does whatever he wants. And um jack in the chat is pointing out like he's a really high character player too so he was a team captain there um mm. clearly cares about his body with the way that he has uh yes young west we do talk about the chat i swear this always happens like we we have stuff to talk right now about. yeah <laughs> um you know jack is, is talking about just his high character and so i do think like he checks a lot of boxes for the chargers like he, we know how brandon staley likes the georgia program it definitely fits a need and I think he is a high character guy. He's a team captain. And to me, like, I think the most encouraging thing that I've seen him do is he's out here in California working with the doctor pass rush guy who typically only trains edge rushers. And hmm. he committed to training Jordan Davis on his pass rush. And I think to me, like that shows that Davis is really committed to becoming a good, well-rounded football player. And sure, there's a bet on the traits conversation, and maybe I'm a little guilty of, of not following that to a T like I should. But um, I, I like Jordan Davis a lot. If he were the pick at 17, I don't hate that as much as I used to. Um, I still would prefer an edge rusher or a corner or a receiver. But like I think he does fit what the Chargers want to do. I think he fits what the Chargers culture is. So like I wouldn't be surprised if he's there if he were the pick. But I, I just prefer other premium positions better and i think that's okay yeah and i think we talk about how high character of a player he is too right we, we sort of talked about demarvin leal and you know how he kind of went against the best competition and was like not great uh jordan davis up against alabama uh fantastic. not the same situation <laughs> in in that championship game right uh so th that's kind of another instance and you just saw that kind of consistently all year from him, whenever he went against the best competition, he was at his best. Um, and he's going to be going up against a lot of those kinds of guys uh, in the NFL, too. So, um, yeah, there's no question marks, really, for me at this point there. 
Yeah, I'm really though. I'm really done watching Georgia versus Clemson, Alabama. So done, man. For like the fifth <laughs> time, I still have to do that safety. The next year, we're gonna have the next. I'm sure the next three prospects from Georgia are all good. Yeah. I Look, I mean, you're, we're we're gonna be watching Georgia, Clemson, and Alabama tape for the next like eight years of this. So, yeah, man, it's. I, I think I, I think I've watched that Georgia Clemson game. I think like at least eight or nine times at this point. Because Clemson has Justin Ross too, so it's like that was one of the Justin Ross games. Um, so yeah, it's it's really interesting. So uh, we'll wrap it up with this. I think um, I think everybody kind of expects the Chargers to be in the defensive tackle draft market. Um, just want to do your favorite Chargers defensive tackle draft prospect out of the first round. So um, I'll, I'll get that conversation started. And I think for me, I said it already. Uh, Josh Pascal is somebody that I'm really mm-hmm. interested in adding to this team. Uh, wouldn't cost a first or a second round pick. Um, so I think he really fits what this team wants to do in that four eye five technique kind of role. And so if the chargers do, let's say sign a Sebastian Joseph day and, and those tackles not necessarily in need and they kind of pass on it. I think Josh Pascal in the third or fourth round would make a lot of sense for me. Yeah. Um, I'll say, I, this kind of depends on what they do in free agency, but like assuming they add like a Sebastian Joseph Day kind of player, they sort of fortify defensive tackle before the draft like we expect them to. I'll kind of go with Matthew Butler just because I think he's an interesting draft prospect yeah. that you could probably get fourth, fifth round. Um, and maybe they take one before that anyway uh, in terms of beefing this room up. Depends if they re-sign Justin Jones. But he's a guy that I just think is kind of going to pop in the NFL in a way that he didn't really have the opportunity to in college. Um, and so I think anytime you have a chance to get one of those guys in the draft, um, I would do it. Yeah, I agree. And then I guess sort of in that same then vein, then Ioma Uazurike, another guy who can be your, you know, defensive well tackle. Done, by the way. Dude, I'm just guessing over here. If that's <laughs> right, that I'm so thrilled. Um, but he, like like you mentioned, he gave Penning problems. And there were, there were yeah. two plays, in, a couple of plays. Um, and that's also the play where Penning, for no reason, just blocked him in the back, even though he was completely not even part of the play anymore. Um, just another character thing for Penning. Um, but he beat him on a long arm, and he would have beaten him if the running back didn't chip. And he beat him later on a rip, where like sort of dip and rip on the outside. Um, but Penning ended up holding him, or hands to the face, or something like that. He shocker around his neck. Yeah, shocker, right? Yeah, <laughs> par, par for course. So he would have beat him at least twice. This is a guy that you can sort of put as your four I five tech sort of guy. I really like him. You know, I think he's got that long arm. You see a swipe. You've been kind of seeing that swim, that rip. Again, gave Penning problems as an as a, as a as a top fifteen pick. You know, a number probably the number four tackle on most boards, and he gave him some problems. And so finding that guy, if you get Akeem Hicks, and so you get Uwazurike and develop him behind. Let's say you get him. Like I have, I have a third round grade on him. I believe, yeah, third round grade on him. But if you can get him like the fourth round or even if you take him in the third round, because, you know, by golly, Tom Telesco will take a reach in the third round. Um, yeah, I, I think that's completely fine. Like, I understand why you would take him. There's not a lot there against the run right now, but you see the traits, you see the film, you see the pass rush moves, not a whole lot against the run. Um, but there is some flash of stack shit that he, when he does use some of his length. So I think he's definitely a guy that has a lot of appeal as a pass rusher. You can use him on twists and stunts and stuff like that. I think finding him later on is a fantastic pairing for the Chargers. <laughs> Edwin Martinez says Penning equals Richie Incognito. He says just kidding. I think that's actually pretty accurate, at, at least in terms that. of play style. 
Um, you know, I, I called him the Ryan Jensen of tackles, but you know, Ryan Jensen baits people into penalties. He doesn't commit them himself. So I, I think that the uh, Richie Incognito thing is, is accurate. Uh, Arjun, why you got to bring up bad things, man? Arjun, talk, Arjun talking about bringing back Cortez. Brown. I, yeah, I still have. I, gotta... I still haven't recovered from that show that we did after they cut all the good players, and then I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, still, I still didn't really recover from that show. And people were like, you don't know about football, and I'm like, eh, by the end of the season, we did. Yeah, I, I love how it's like we're talking about needing a wide receiver and a defensive tackle on this segment when literally last year they cut the wide Wonder receiver. Wonder where they could have gone those from. <laughs> Also, uh, shout out my mom. I saw the, I see the uh, super chat says you guys yeah. rock. I tend to agree that we also rock, but thank you, my mom. <laughs> she has two degrees and she would know this stuff. Yeah. So I got to add uh, the Iowa State defensive tackle on my list and as well as Eric Johnson, who is Gavino's uh, favorite one. So uh, for the record, Gavino has Jordan Davis lower than me. So go yell at him instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, man. Gavino's awesome. He does some great work. So. Uh, he likes Jerry that. Tillery. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. Gavino. Gavino, <laughs> come on. You 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 just need to you, – you watch the film, but I need you to come home with the Jerry Tillery thing, man. <laughs> All good. So that uh, that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in to this show. You know, it's been a great live chat. Um, hopefully you enjoyed our conversations on Russell Wilson, Mike Williams, and the top 10 into your defensive tackle. So uh, from here on for the next couple of weeks, it's going to be all free agency. So uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on lately about specifically JC Jackson and some corners. So, um, <laughs> you know, Sunday we are going to do our final free agency primer going over all the rumors and things like that that we're hearing. So um, Sunday is going to be a lot of fun. And then next week, it's going to be a bunch of free agency madness. I, I cannot wait to cover that. So uh, if you are watching this, turn those YouTube notifications on. You will not want to miss uh, any of our emergency podcasts, depending on who the Chargers sign. And uh, as always, if you're listening to the audio version, please leave us a rating or review on the podcast platform of your choice. That's going to do it, guys. As always, bolt up. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.